0: In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 Matthew 2, verse 11 says, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Today we celebrate and uh, remember the epiphany. Um, that is what this uh, festival, this feast is called. It comes from Greek uh, some Greek words which mean literally to shine forth or to show forth. Uh, to and, and it means to manifest or to reveal. <clears throat> so in the Epiphany season, God is revealing himself to the world in Christ. But today, this Epiphany, God reveals himself to the Magi, that he is the Christ, to the Gentiles. Um, To give a summary of the gospel uh, Matthew chapter 2, you see that uh, the Magi followed the star. They found Christ the Lord. They believed in him as the Savior from sin, from guilt and from death. That's essentially what the gospel lesson is. Now, concerning that text and that account, there's a lot of debate and speculation over what's really going on in these uh, in these words, in this passage. Um, There are debates on the star itself, whether the star was a constellation of stars, whether it was a supernatural star, whether it was an angel uh, who appeared to the Magi. Others uh, debate the number of Magi, whether there were three Magi, because there were three gifts, uh, four all the way up to 12 Magi, something of that nature. Others uh, debate the time and the day of the visit. Some say that it was 13 days after Christ was born. That's January 6th. That would have been this Friday. Others put it a little later. They say it's about six months later. Others up to two years later after the birth of Christ. So there's a lot of debates where the Magi came from, uh, the names, the ages of that Magi, all those sort of things. Uh, I have my own personal opinions on these things. And you can... uh, Buy me beer and then ask me about it, <laughs> and I'll tell you uh, what I think. And I'm right, by the way. Uh, uh, those are just my opinions. Okay, but these are things that we can talk about and even disagree upon uh, because we don't really know. There, there's, there's a lot of speculation and debate about these things. Uh, but the main reason for saying this is that there's a lot we don't know. So this sermon is not going to be about those things, but rather about what we do know, what is clear. And it's not much, but that is what the sermon will be from. It's a sermon about what we do know. And there's two things that we do know in this text very clearly. One, who Herod is. And two, uh, a little bit about the Magi. And we see very specifically two responses, different responses to the birth of Christ. So first of all, King Herod This is uh, Herod the Great, as history would call him. He was a political, he was a, di- a diplomatic uh, leader. He had great uh, political power. He took office at 25 years old, which is very impressive. He was very talented, very smart, bright guy. He was also very intimidating. Uh, he took on colossal building projects. He raised taxes in order to pay for those projects. He implemented a tremendous and heavy tax burden on everybody. The Jews ended up resenting him. But to appease them, to win their favor again, he gave them gifts. He would give them a gift that was paid for by their own money that he took from them in the taxes. But he expanded the Temple Mount, which was a huge, colossal project. He enlarged the second Jewish temple. He enlarged it. He doubled its size. Uh, He built the great wall that you find there as well. Um, So all of these things are really incredible things and feats that uh, Herod pulled off. But the other thing is this. Herod was psychotic and he was paranoid. Uh, He had 10 wives. He executed at least one of them. He executed three of his own sons because they were potential competition to take his place. Uh, and he executed many other people as well. Uh, by the way, that's the difference between influence and uh, intimidation. He didn't influence people; he only intimidated them by force. Um, Herod knew people hated him so much they could not stand him, and he knew that no one would miss him when he died, which is a very sad thing. What was his solution then? Right to be nicer, uh, to make a better name for himself. To be more kind, to win people over. No, his solution to people not missing him when he died was this. Was to gather all of the best, the brightest and beloved men uh, close by. To gather them in one place and execute them the day that he died. Why? So that people would cry on the day that he died. That was his solution. It's, It's psychotic. It's evil. It's incredibly... Uh, paranoid and, and insane. So this is why when Herod heard the news of the new king of the Jews, he sent soldiers to murder infants, uh, all of the male infants two years and younger. Uh, this is what's called the slaughter of the innocents. Uh, we observe this on December 28th each year. We don't know how many children this this was exactly, but uh, historians estimate between 6 and 12 children, not many, uh, there in Bethlehem because Bethlehem was so small. And the point was that <clears throat> uh, this wasn't recorded in secular history because they were insignificant. They were little. Uh, if you execute uh, a king or somebody, a, a ruler here, well, then they're gonna, that's going to make the news. But it's not going to make the news when little babies are killed. They didn't make a name for themselves. They're less than two years old here. I mean, so, so, this, so it, it's no surprise that Herod would actually do this after he kills his own family members. Uh, one final point about Herod, though, is that Herod was an Edomite. The Edomites were forced to become Jews. Uh, so that means Herod's ancestors were Jews. And Herod was raised a Jew. Uh, he saw himself as the king of the Jews. The king of that place right there. So that way, uh, when he heard that there was a a newborn king, the king of the Jews, then he saw that as direct and immediate competition with him. Okay, so that's about here. The second thing here is about the Magi. This is what we know about them. The Magi, they're sorcerers. They are astronomers. Magi is where we get the word magic from. So they were probably into things like dark arts. Uh, they were probably syncretists, uh, mixing religions and all these sort of things, unionists, things like that. Um, they were not Christians. They did not know the Christian faith to begin with. So that's about all we know with uh about the Magi. So that's what we know about Herod and now the Magi. Now, the reason for saying all this is because I want you to compare uh, Herod and the Magi. Herod was a Jew, at least culturally, at least um, in name he was, and the Magi were Gentiles. And what does this mean? Herod grew up hearing, at least sometime, the Old Testament He heard the prophecies and the promises, and this is why he consulted with the chief priests and the scribes when he heard about this baby. The Magi, on the other hand, did not grow up hearing any of this. And they didn't go to the temple, they didn't go to the synagogue, they didn't show up for any of these things. So Herod is in Israel, in Jerusalem, and the Magi are outside of it. They're secular, they're heathen, they're pagans. And there are two responses here. Herod, who is then raised a Jew, knowing some of these things, responds to the birth of Jesus with anger and hatred and murder. And the Magi, who were Gentiles, pagans even, the scripture says they fell down and they worshipped him, the baby, Jesus himself. After hearing what Mary and Joseph said about Jesus, they marveled. And then they worshipped him. That means they had faith in him. Uh, I want to read you John chapter 1, verse 9 through 13. That the scriptures tell us that there were two responses. And that's what we see here today on Epiphany. Two responses to the birth of Jesus. Starting at verse 9, it says, The true light, which enlightens everyone, that's Christ himself, was coming into the world. So here we see Herod who rejects the Christ and then these Gentile Magi who received him. They believed in him. The Magi went to see the child of God. And in doing that, they were given faith and became children of God. They went to see the one who was born. And then they, they themselves were born that night, not of blood or flesh, but of God. They, they were born in the Spirit. God gave the Magi the right to become children of God. He get, that is, he gave them faith. So I, I want you to keep this in mind because there are two lessons I want you to uh, draw from this, from understanding these things. And the first is this, that there is no one for whom Christ the Lord was not born. He was born for all, all people. Luke uh, chapter two, verse 10 says, uh, the angel himself says to the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, all of them. The Magi were they, they are the, the quintessential example of, of no one else in greater spiritual darkness, yet God led them to where they were supposed to be. Jesus was born for the Magi and Jesus was born for King Herod too. He was born for all people. Jesus was born to live and to die and to resurrect for all people. If he was born for all, then he died for all. He was not born for some or certain people, but for all of them. He was born for them and he suffered for them and he died for them and he won salvation for them all. For all who would call upon him, they would be saved in his name. That's the first lesson is so that there's not one person who is excluded from Christmas, not one person excluded from the birth of Christ. The second thing is this, that sometimes it takes someone from the outside to see what we ourselves have been given. Sometimes it takes a stranger to see what we have. So an observation, I I want you to make this, uh, see this observation that I have made over the years. That oftentimes the most faithful Christians that I've seen in my life are those who weren't raised Christians, but those who became Christians. And oftentimes the most faithful Lutherans are those who weren't raised Lutheran, but those who became Lutheran. Keep in mind that I say this as one who was born and raised Lutheran. Uh, so, so hear me well. Understand what I'm saying. I am not saying that this is always the case. This, it, it's not that this is always the case or that if you're raised Lutheran, that that's somehow bad or that you're unfaithful or that if you're a convert and you became Lutheran later, that this is good and faithful. No, that, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that I, I've observed this, that many times those who learn the gospel later in life love it more than those who have known it their entire life it's a remarkable thing it's astounding to me i've noticed that they love hearing the word and they cannot get enough of it they adore the preaching of the cross the, the preaching of christ and him crucified and they want to hear that they hunger and thirst for that over and over again these are also the ones that i've noticed don't complain about the length of the service <laughs> they don't say it has to be a 1 hour They say, well, as long as it takes, just say what needs to be said. Preach what needs to be preached. Um, They also don't wait years or months to baptize their babies, their infants. They, they, They see baptism as something necessary, urgent, something that has to be done quickly. They also don't want the Lord's Supper just once a month or every other week. They want it every week all of the time, every time we gather together, they want it every Sunday. They are the ones who also love the liturgy. They know it's difficult, it's new to them, but they love it, they, they learn the hymnal, they learn what the liturgy is. Um, they are also the ones who love actual Lutheran hymns. And those are the difficult ones to sing. The ones with a lot of verses, (laughs) those hymns, they end up loving them. It's an observation I've made. I've I've seen this time and time again. They love pure doctrine. And I've seen this where you preach the gospel that Christ has poured out his blood for the forgiveness of your sins. And that it requires no works on your account. And their eyes fill up with tears of joy because they have not heard this before. They rejoice in it. So so what is happening here? What's going on? What I think is going on is this, that they love what I have so often taken for granted. Um, There's a danger of thinking that you know the gospel and God's word too well, or that you know the service so well, you know this stuff already, that you've outgrown it, you've moved past it. This is child's play. I want you to learn and look at these magi, these Gentiles and these converts and learn from them uh, what we still observe to this day. That many who learned the gospel later in life, they love it so much because I think they remember what life was like without it. They remember what their life looked like and felt like without the gospel, the preaching of Christ and him crucified. They remember laboring under the law. They remember the days that they were doubting God's love and waking up and wondering what God thinks of me. Am I going to go to heaven? They're going to bed in fear. I sinned today. Now now what's going to happen to me? What does God think of me? Did he change his mind about me? Does he think less of me this week than he did last week? And this is a constant turmoil and vexation that they go through. They remember the days that they were uncertain of their salvation, that they depended upon themselves. Uh, that they had no meaning or purpose to life. They remember hearing things, um, hour-long sermons, but nothing about Christ and Him crucified for you. They remember not having any comfort of baptism or the Lord's Supper, that Christ is truly present, not in just some vague spiritual way, but truly present for you to take away your sins. They remember the anger and bitterness Uh, that they used to have. But now they know the truth and they know that God loved the world, that he sent his only begotten son. They know that baptism now saves you, that they're saved by grace through faith alone, that the Lord's Supper is the very body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and that this truth is greater than all things in this world. So that's why I think they love and have a zeal for this word. This is a danger, though, also for converts, because what's new now will one day become old to you. It can become old. It can become old hat. It can become, you you can become used to it. So don't think that you cannot get used to it or that the the love that you have for it now won't grow cold. You're not immune. We can all do what Herod did. We could hear it at one point and then despise it and become totally different people. So, what I want to say is this. This is not a sermon for old Christians, or new Christians, or old Lutherans, or new Lutherans, or converts, or things like this. But this is a sermon for all Christians. Um, If you are wandering away, or growing cold in the faith, or bored, or you yawn at it, then repent. And don't forget your first love. Remember the one who loved you first, before you could love him. And learn from these magi, these Gentile outsiders, that Christ is born for you. And that those words would cause us to fall down and worship him. That we rejoice in this news. It is worth traveling halfway across the world to hear it if we need to. It's worth more than silver and gold. It's worth more uh, than all things that we would ever have. So no matter who you are or what life or history you have, what sin or mistakes or wrong opinions or beliefs you've ever had, what guilt or error, Christ was born for you. He lived and he suffered and he died and he resurrected for you. Pray that God would open your eyes to see this. If you have closed your eyes to this, to to, to the joy of the gospel, ask God, pray to him as we will in a few moments singing the offertory, that he would restore the joy of salvation to you. That you would rejoice as if this were your first day hearing this. Dear saints, may God bless you this epiphany season as God reveals his great love for you as he gives you something to be joyful over now and always, that he has forgiven all of your sins in Christ. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.